If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hamed Aliaziz covers immigration for BuzzFeed. He knows how serpentine the American system for migrants can be. But he says if he had to pick one agency that truly embodied the radical changes in immigration policy over the last four years, he'd pick ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, hands down. It felt like every week, every month, uh, there was something uh, happening with ICE that uh, became top news. I think ICE, you know, pretty quickly became the face of, um, you know, Trump's, you know, immigration crackdown. It was ICE agents who carried out family separation at the border. ICE leaders who engineered some of the largest workplace immigration raids in a decade. Hundreds of children came home Wednesday, some on the first day of school, to find their parents had been taken away by Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So I want my dad to be free and everybody else. You know, the officers have the jackets and there's, you know, there's TV crews following them during the, you know, while they do their work. The agents would surround the perimeter of the plant, then move in. They would check for proof of residency from the workers. Those without it were lined up, their hands were zip tied behind their backs, and their personal possessions were put in clear plastic bags. They were taken by... And unlike, say, Customs and Border Protection, ICE agents, they're everywhere. They uh, conducted operations targeting states and cities with sanctuary laws. And when the mayors and governors of these places refused to increase their cooperation with ICE, the agency paid for billboards with photographs of uh, quote-unquote wanted immigrants in the same areas. Back when Trump first took office, the head of ICE famously said the president had taken the handcuffs off his agency that his officers were relieved to be able to just do their jobs. The question Hamed has now is whether incoming President Biden is going to be able to put the handcuffs back on. Trump basically said, it's up to you guys. Who you want to arrest is up to you guys. And that basically made, uh, you know, every, you know, nearly every undocumented immigrant a priority and uh, allowed ICE officers to do, you know, what they wanted in these, uh, these communities. I wonder if you feel like ICE changed under Trump or really just (laughs) sort of blossomed into its full self. Hmm. Uh, That's a a tough question. I think the the work that they were doing completely changed. And it was just way more aggressive, way more in your face. um, And, and you know, they they were no longer the agency that, that they were during the Obama administration. Today on the show, whether ISIS culture has done an about-face or just evolved, it's clear Joe Biden wants to change it again. But how? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. I want to talk about how ICE seems and what ICE does 
and what ICE is? Because it seems like those are really different things. How would you describe the public face of ICE? I think the public face of ICE uh, for, for a lot of the public is, you know, rounding up uh, undocumented immigrants and deporting them. I, I think that that's, you know, in the, in the jackets that say ICE, you know, the, the clips of the officers uh, picking up people and putting them into to vans and cars. I think that's that's the main understanding of the public of ICE. And is that ICE's mission or is their mission something different? It really is interesting because it's such a big agency and they do so many different things. Um, it, the agency is split into two different parts. One part is enforcement and removal operations. Uh, these are the officers who are tasked with enforcing the, the nation's immigration laws, with ensuring that undocumented immigrants show up to court for their deportation proceedings, for detaining undocumented immigrants they feel that, that should be detained. And that's what we see, the guys in the jackets. Exactly. Right? Those are the guys in the jackets. They're deporting people. Uh, they're also in charge of uh, transporting uh, unaccompanied children between Border Patrol custody and nonprofit shelters holding these unaccompanied children. They do that work. And then there's a different part of the agency, which is the Homeland Security Investigations uh, agents. And these guys are mostly focused on criminal cases. Uh, they're really building cases alongside uh, U.S. attorneys with prosecutors. They work with local uh, criminal uh, justice systems, uh, local police, local sheriffs. You know, they do work that. I think what surprised a lot of people, the type of work that they do, you know, they, they work on really serious stuff like, you know, uh, tra human trafficking, uh, you know, smuggling, uh, you know, big cases involving like MS-13 uh, in communities. And these are, again, at the end of the day, for the most part, criminal, criminal cases. Hamed says these two divisions, Homeland Security Investigations, or HSI, and Enforcement and Removal Operations, otherwise known as ERO. Even though they are both part of ICE, they're not always on the same page. Do these two constituencies get along? It sounds like they're doing really different things. Yeah, they, they, they don't. Um, I mean, there is some overlap, but at the end of the day, there's always been this tension there where uh, the HSI agents... Uh, want to be doing this work that's focused on these criminal cases. They don't want to be involved, for the most part, in doing a lot of the immigration enforcement. And they, they see themselves as different uh, from the deportation officers. They see themselves uh, as more serious, as having to do, uh, you know, more work and having to build, you know, real cases. But during the Trump administration, they've been kind of thrust into doing more immigration enforcement uh, and they, you know, not everyone has really uh, loved that. Uh, at one point, there's a set of HSI leaders who sent a letter, an actual letter to uh, then DHS Secretary uh, Kirsten Nielsen. And they said that they want to be split off from ICE because the politics were just getting to a point where people were throwing them in with the agency is becoming too toxic and they just needed a new start. And they think that this is probably the best way forward for HSI uh, to continue to have relationships with local police and local sheriffs is to split them off uh, from the deportation officers and move forward from there. So that's interesting because we're talking about an agency that has a lot of challenges with its public-facing messaging, but then it seems like internally 
also has a lot of challenges. Like one side of the organization has basically requested a divorce. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're talking about an agency with thousands of people with missions that at times, you know, are, are pretty different. And when it comes to the Trump administration, the HSI agents started to do worksite enforcement. You know, these guys were doing these uh, these raids where they're focusing on companies that are uh, employing uh, undocumented immigrants who are, you know, underpaying them at times, allegedly. And these are criminal cases they're building. They're building criminal cases. But at the same time, they are arresting hundreds of uh, undocumented immigrants, you know, just on immigration alone, and forcing them into these deportation proceedings, uh, was uh, you know something that wasn't really happening during the Obama administration. They were just focused on the criminal cases, not necessarily rounding up hundreds of workers and pushing them into deportation proceedings. Under Trump, those immigration raids got attention, partly because the president himself liked to brag they were about to happen. There was a raid on a slaughterhouse in Tennessee where dozens of workers were detained. And then a raid on a series of chicken processing plants in Mississippi. 680 people got arrested in just one day. I mean, when you arrest more than 600 people in a community like that, it's... I imagine it's just sort of like a meteor crashing to Earth. Like, it leaves a dent. Yeah, I actually went to a, uh, a town in Nebraska where there had been a similar operation. There hadn't been as, as many as 600 arrests, but there were a lot of arrests. I think it was over 200. And it's this tiny little Nebraska town. I went there a month after the operation. And, you know, you could still see it in people's faces. They were really uh, shook by this this massive operation. All these agents in the town and arresting people. And uh, I talked to, you know, a lot of people in that immigrant community. And, you know, they basically said that, you know, it was over there. That they, this was a place for families to come and to work. And they, they had a community. But this raid basically made it so, you know, that was gone. You know, these people, a whole bunch of people were detained. Uh, you know, others had been arrested and released and there was no real hope for them to find jobs in the community. You know, they were basically saying it's over here and we need to figure something else out. They were planning to leave. They were planning to leave, yeah. They had no way to support themselves and they were really uh, subsisting off of uh, donations from a local church. That's how they were, like, you know, really... Uh, you know, eating every day, coming to the church and getting food and, and then leaving. And um, yeah, it had just a massive impact on this, this tiny Nebraska town. While ICE had certainly become a lightning rod under President Trump, Ahmed says you could see a clash coming. Some local law enforcement had been getting uncomfortable with ICE under President Obama. They'd stopped allowing ICE in their jails, stopped transferring inmates into ICE's custody. And then whole municipalities started signing on. They called themselves sanctuary cities. Trump's rhetoric just stoked these flames. And what you're talking about is like really an escalation between local governments and this particular agency and then I guess the question for Joe Biden becomes, how do you de-escalate? Yeah, the Obama administration saw this coming. And what the Obama administration did was 
2014, they really emphasized, you know, hey, we're going to work with you guys. We're going to work with you, you know, these communities. We're going to give you the option of, you know, instead of holding somebody for, for longer for us to come get there and pick them up, we'll allow you to just, you know, notify us when this individual is being released. And on top of that, we're only going to be targeting these, you know, serious felons, these you know, national security threats, uh, these types of people. And so they really try to work with these communities. Uh, and it's been the opposite during Trump. Uh, during Trump, it's been, you know, uh, these communities are harboring, you know, criminals. They're not working with us. Hey, maybe the the the, the leaders of these communities should be uh, charged criminally. Um, you know, there's these billboards in, in places like Philadelphia, you know, with, with wanted ads for uh, immigrants who've been in local uh, jail custody. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a completely different approach. It's funny listening to you because I feel like it's making me realize that when we fight about ICE, depending who you are, you may be fighting about something different. Like if you're a local jurisdiction, this is like a territory thing. You're like, listen, this is my jail, and I don't want you in here. And if you're an immigration activist, you have a very different perspective of, I don't think this person should be incarcerated at all. And what's happened over the last few years is these allegiances between groups that may not have been aligned in the past. You know, I think at the end of the day, it's going to be really interesting to see how Biden approaches this issue. I mean, how does he tell ICE to work with jails? Do they go back to the Obama approach, trying to get communities on board? Uh, and how would advocates react to that? Do they want that to happen? Uh, you know, my sense is a lot of them don't want that. Um, so it will be really tricky ground for for Biden to figure out you know, how he's going to work with jails and how ICE is going to, uh, you know, approach uh, immigration arrests uh, in the country. Hmm. When I think about Joe Biden's approach and, and what he'll be able to do when it comes to immigration, I can't help thinking about the fact that I feel like the anti-ICE movement has really benefited from having a true enemy in the White House, someone who is acting in a way that they could bring together a, a bunch of different stakeholders and make the case that this isn't working. And it really did seem to break through. Like in October, there was a presidential debate where, you know, President-elect Biden was asked about immigration. And for all the talk of him wanting a third Obama term, I was struck by the fact that he really distanced himself from what happened in the Obama era. presided over record deportations as well as family detentions at the border before changing course. So why should voters trust you with an immigration overhaul now? Because it made a mistake. It, made too, it took too long to get it right. It took too long to get it right. I'll be president of the United States, not vice president of the United States. And the fact is I've made... And that was because of this movement that grew up because of Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, he said that it took him too long to get it right. Um, get the policy right. And they've said they're going to have this moratorium on deportations for 100 days while they assess how the agency will, will, you know, operate moving forward. But after that, you know, they will, ICE will still be involved with um, arresting people. They will still be deporting people. There will still be, you know, these really sticky issues. Um, you know, again, at the end of the day, 
ICE is still going to be working with jails. They're still going to try to pick up people from jails and to deport them. And, um, you know, I think that's where it'll be really interesting to see uh, how the left, how the public reacts to an ICE under Biden. Uh, you know, how do they want the agency to be, uh, you know, going about the, the, the work that they do? Because uh, they're going to do the work. So um, will there be as much controversy? Will there be as much, um, you know, uh, there be as many protests and outrage at what ICE does during Biden as there was during Trump? Uh, my sense is that there will still be uh, advocates who are really holding ICE's feet to the fire. And it's going to be, you know, there's going to still continue to be cases that come up in, uh, you know, in, in news reports. And it'll be, uh, you know, on Biden to figure out how he wants to figure this out. Is he going to, uh, you know, really hear those calls or is he going to set a set of, you know, the policy and move forward and, you know, this is the way it's going to be done or, you know, how this is going to work is still remains to be seen. What's the likelihood of Biden abolishing ICE? Zero percent. Yeah, you know, he's zero <laughs> percent. You know, this is, this is somebody who believes in these institutions and, um, you know, that was never really going to be his approach. Uh, now, he has emphasized a need for reform. And you, you know, the vice president, the vice president-elect Kamala Harris has really been, during her time in the Senate, has really been aggressive on keeping ICE, um, you know, uh, accountable for, for issues that have popped up. And I think she's been really emphasizing issues in detention, you know, you know how the ICE arrests are happening in communities. She's really been focused on this issue. And she's, I think, m- you know, more likely to be focused on changing the way ICE operates. And I think she'll be really key in how things uh, go moving forward. When we come back... If ICE is here to stay, can Biden fix it? This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. You spoke with 12 current and former ICE officials who served during the Trump administration about their experiences and their thoughts about what happens now. And I want to talk about what you learned from these people Because some of them are going to be the people who have to make this pivot once Biden takes charge. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I talked to one person who said that this is just the way things go. You know, ICE, it's like being on a roller coaster. You know, when it's the Obama administration, we're told to only arrest these people. When it's Trump, it's go, go arrest more people. And we're just going back and forth and you know, we're used to it and it is what it is. I think that for some people, that's the approach. For others, I think they're really excited to see what Biden does to bring them back into focusing their priorities on 
serious criminals on national security threats. They don't want to be lumped in with picking up the, the sympathetic individual in the community. There's, there's people who think that there's no need for that within the agency and that it takes away from the, um, you know, the public's trust of the agency and to be wrapped up in the politics of, you know, what's going on, uh, you know, in, in, in these areas and, and getting in fights with, with local law enforcement. But, you know, at the same time, there are people who feel like that there was an emphasis, an overemphasis on the side of the left that, that painted the agency as Nazis and that they were doing things they never did and that uh, they were taking advantage of this moment to brand the agency as something that they weren't. I think there's still a lot of anger there. You know, these people acknowledge that there were real problems uh, during this time, but that, they, you know, they felt like that they were just getting constantly beaten up, getting beaten up on, and they're, you know, they're tired of it. Yeah, it's funny. I've read both that ICE agents are kind of weary of Trumpism and the chaos it brought to their agency, but also that they've felt unleashed to do their job. Which is it, or is it both? And does that reflect a division within the agency itself? I think it's both. I mean, I think that, you know, you're talking about thousands of people and I think there's always, there's going to be a variety of perspectives. Um, But I think that during the beginning, you know, period of time during the Trump administration, there was a sense that the leaders of uh, the agency felt emboldened and, and really wanted to be more aggressive uh, during the Trump administration. But uh, for the, the, the people who work in the agency, I think the people that I spoke with, there there are a lot of them who are hoping for, you know, going back into the background, for focusing on priorities, for not getting wrapped up in the politics, and to kind of have some uh, a calmer period than uh, the, these last four years. You mentioned one officer who flagged the kind of cultural change he'd seen at the agency about how officers, you know, they stopped talking to lawyers before they did a raid. They would just sort of do their mission and they knew they could get away with things. And that strikes me as something that's harder to change than, you know, bigger, broader rules because that's inside the people and they've had four years to get used to it. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think this that really speaks to how key it's going to be for Biden and who he's going to pick to lead the agency, what mandate they have, how reform-heavy are they going to be, you know, what are they going to do with officers? Are they going to train them in a new way of, uh, you know, approaching arrests and the work that they do? Are they just simply going to go back to the Obama era and just, you know, issue a policy and say this is the way it's going to be done and you, you have to do it and you got to fill out these forms? Or are they going to really go in and, and change the way uh, ICE operates? I think we'll find out how Biden views this, this issue by who he picks to lead the agency and what they say about what they want to do to ICE. Uh, I think that's going to be the tone setter uh, for, for the administration uh, for the next four years. The U.S. immigration system is so complex. I wonder how much changing one part of Homeland Security, ICE, will change everything else? Or whether it's sort of like Jenga, you change one thing and other things can fall apart. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, you know, until there is a real serious 
uh, reform and and you know movement in Congress, uh, we're just going to be doing this uh, between administrations. I think uh, you get a Biden, you get a Trump, you're just going to go back and forth and back and forth. Uh, that's that seems to be the way it's going to to be moving forward. Uh, without that, you know, real structural change, um, you know, this is what we're going to be uh, dealing with. Hamed Ali Aziz, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Hamed Ali Aziz is an immigration reporter for BuzzFeed News. And that's the show. Before we go, a little request from all of us at the show. We want to know what you are doing to say good riddance to 2020. Seriously, we need your ideas here. So give us a call. Leave a voicemail. 202-888-2588. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Davis Land, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We're getting a ton of help right now from Franny Kelly. We are led by Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery. And I'm Mary Harris. You can find me when I'm not in a closet recording this at Mary's desk on Twitter. And instead of your normal Friday TBD show, I am going to be back in this feed. So stay tuned. I'll meet you there. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.